and then I'm going to stop you and listen to this again, okay? Okay. Because I... All right, go ahead. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, this poem is by Eugene Redmond, and the title is Wedge Wall, Huge Hand. Okay. What does the title mean, please? The title, of course, has to do with the location of the wall, which is at a wedge. It is at a wedge. It's where two streets come in together and meet. Okay. So it meet, they meet at a V. So that's the wedge right. where the wall is located. So he, he named it the wedge wall. Huge hand. Huge hand represents uh, uh, an open information to the public. Yes, and okay. it's open information to the public. Thank it's, you. It's, it's a, this is a hand of um, that represents freedom. Uh, you know, it's a symbolic similar to the fist. Well, the fist is closed. The fist is closed. And this but is this, open. This There's one's open. There's a lot of difference in that. I know that. I'm trying to explain that. I'm listening. <laughs> okay, I'm saying that is similar in, in terms of being a symbol, symbolic, mm -hmm. like the fist. By this one being open, it is displaying knowledge and information to the people. See, it's an open hand. See? So that was a purpose for that. So it's a huge hand. He saw it as a huge hand. But let me uh, read the poem. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, by the way, it was located at Leffenwell and Franklin in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, walls just usually just, well, let me say that, start again. Walls usually obstruct, disrupt, or hold things up. Rarely are they pathways to, the, to pride and power, like the St. Louis Wall of Respect. Black built so blacks can see their blackness tower. The wall is a huge hand outstretched, outstretched or turned on its edge toward the caged overcast. A hard hand whose horoscopes crisscross or run parallel in time, 3,000 years backwards in the mind. A hollowed hand, blood-stained in black brick, etchings of unearned agony. See black people passing by. Young girls stop inside. Black, brick by brick, the faces rise. Stare, stun, the stolen eyes. Ending its long, its day-long glance the swollen sun splurges a final stare. Its stiletto eye, having baked bone hard, the painted faces in the skillful, skillfully sculptured hand. Mounting ladders and platforms, black artists, their solemn sacred tools singing in silence, applied in pride and pain. From the valley of asphalt and garbage cans, an uneven line of eyes, some leaning against bones, against iron knees, watched artists moving like ancient East 
eastern laborers paralyzing sand into magnificent faces of Egyptian pyramids. The wall. Curiosity turned to reverence. The ungraspable grasp, towering untouchably over timid stares of the enemy. Eye for an eye, for each passes by. War of the wine-washed sidewalks. The wall is the people, is the wall, is the uh, whale wall. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I ought to stop and say something about this. Go ahead. That's fine. I explain yeah. anything you want. Yeah. The, the previous uh, stanza, which had dealt with the people passing by, it was located right there so that all of the... This indicates how it caught the eye of so many different people as they came by, all kinds of people, and also how they were transfixed by the... Uh, the actual uh, painting of the wall and the skill of the artist. He, he, he gets all of that. And then he talks about how this is the same kind of labor that had been done previously in Africa. Uh, stanza three, the wall. Curiosity turned to reverence. The ungraspable grass touching towering untouchably over timid stares of the enemy. Eye for an eye, for each passes by. War of the wine-washed sidewalks. The wall is the people. Is The wall is a whale wall. I think what he's saying there is that, uh, he, he points out that each passerby is very much engaged in this and it rose from an area where winos used to sit. They used to sit right under that wall and drink, drink uh, wine and throw the bottles down. Now, once we painted the wall, it became, in, in his mind, a whale wall. It became a wall of the people. And the whale is W-H-A-L-E. Yeah, like a, a like fish, a, mm -hmm. a huge is another way of saying a huge wall. And, oh, I see. And to them, uh, it was such a great thing uh, that they no longer sat there. They not only didn't, didn't throw bottles and wine bottles down there, but they kept the place clean, and they also uh, watched the wall to make sure that no, nothing happened to it. They were guardians of the wall. Uh, strikingly still, at a vigorous pace, a haggard beard, beard or a violent face. Cold anger stares or a bonnet with lace. Or Garvey's warm urge, up you mighty race. Now there he's really uh, encompassing all of the people who are on the wall. When he talks about the haggard beard, the violent face, uh, cold and angered stares, a bonnet of lace, which had to do with uh, Phyllis Wheatley uh, and Garvey and so on. Uh, wall belongs to the people, black, who come to it like Moses to the Mecca. Like Mo Muslims. Muslims, like Muslims to the Mecca. Uh, 
wrestle family by truth from colder walls that dope in their minds and give them a white Jesus to die for. The wall, now there, of course, you're talking about images. He's talking about the, uh, how important it is for blacks to have a black image of someone who has accomplished something and has been uh, positive in their life and in the world, uh, rather than to have white images all the time, uh, such as Jesus. The uh, wall winds miles and miles and miles and miles. Now he's talking about in the past. And the steel knuckle fists jet like street lamps along the way. It must be it. That's it. Okay. And that's Eugene Redmond, and he dedicated it to John Henry Redmond Sr., John Henry Redmond Jr., and John Henry Redmond III. That's right. <laughs> which is very Now, this nice. was copyrighted in 1970 by Gene Redmond. It's very powerful, and I thank you for reading it, and more than that, for uh, explaining it, because it, uh, it makes, makes it a little bit more powerful with the explanation. Right. Um, there's two more things I want to cover, and um, one is this letter that you showed me about um, to, to, to Clyde Cahill, who was then now a judge, but now then at the Human Development Corporation. He was the director of Human Development. And the other thing I want to cover is what you're doing now, which is the erecting a uh, designing and, and planning for a new wall since the other one was mm. destroyed. So let's go on and tell me about. Well, um, this was October 14, 1968. Yes. This was a program, see, um, in keeping with uh, the Black History uh, program of uh, action, uh, we developed, not only uh, did we work with developing the Wall of Respect, but we developed all other kinds of programs. I mentioned earlier that we uh, set out every Monday a uh, list of questions about Black History, and then the following Monday uh, we gave the answers and gave another set of questions. Now this raised education. Along with that, I wanted to develop something that would uh, provide a lecture piece. No, it's okay. A lecture piece uh, for um, for the community, where you could go from to churches, you could go to uh, schools, you could go to all kinds of organizations and give a lecture. Uh, so what we did is we did, uh, I asked. Well, let me. I'll I'll read this letter. Maybe it will help. Uh, I'm writing you for the purpose of suggesting a very important means of educating both black and white children in, of St. Louis through the poverty program. At the last black hip session held at Page Park YMCA, a most impressive piece of art was used displaying ten historical paintings. This life-size folding, it was a folding uh, like a screen. Did you copy the wall onto this? No, we didn't. It was not copied. These are individual paintings. There were ten of them. See, ten individual paintings. Did separate, different than these? Or the it had same? nothing to do with nothing. that. Okay. 
This is another project. Okay. Okay, and what I'm asking, what we were asking, see this is a, we did a number of different, from the wall by the way, there's another thing that we did. I took pictures of the wall and made a poster. And the posters were put in all of the libraries and we, and, uh, and they were even sold to the general public at a very cheap price, just at the cost of, uh, of the, of the, of the, of, the, of um, construction. Did you have a comic book or a children's book that you put out or that Not yet. Okay. We would like to do something like that. Someone asked me about that. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the, um, I had been encouraging people to do that a long time ago, but if nobody else has done it, then I'm going to do it. Uh, this was a folding exhibit that you could carry onto a stage and put on a stage and these were large paintings, of course, so that you could see in the, from the audience. And the person would give a lecture involving all ten of these people. So it was a folding lecture. Uh, the life-size folding historical painting uh, had two, a twofold purpose. Number one, to be used as a backdrop for our traveling lecture series of black culture and history. The pictures range from the early exploration of America through slavery period, civil war, construction, up to the present day. This also included uh, written bibliographies of each character represented and the history of each period of time and reference to the bibliography and a reference to the bibliographies. Number two, to be used as children's lectures along with written quizzes uh, followed by discussions. Uh, it could be handled through school, art, history, English, literature classes. It could also be conducted at churches and used the use of pictures and printed materials and plays and lectures of their boards and ministers and parishioners. Now the reason why, it's very interesting, the reason that we, the reason I brought this up is because this is the things that we had in mind back in 1968, this is October 5th, 1968. Now you see these things being done now, even this project that you're doing at this particular time, you see, would not have been done back then if it had not been for this, these things that took place from that. So this snowballed into a whole lot of other activities, such as the one that I'm speaking of. Uh, then from there, well, this was one project. Um, but now we're attempting to reestablish the wall of respect since the building has been torn down. Uh, here in the 80s, about several years back, this is the 90. Uh, several years back, they began to tear down that wall, probably about 1986. They began to clear that land. And uh, now there's nothing in the place where the wall was. Adjacent to it is a church. Uh, across from it is a um, senior citizens building. And in the opposite direction is a group of houses that have been built. Where would your choice for location be now? Well, 
we have developed ex exactly the same way as we did before a group of community people who will sit down and discuss uh, where the location will be and I just had a telephone call related to that. Uh, are you, do you have the same enthusiasm? I do, yes. No, no, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, just a little piece of enthusiasm sitting there <laughs> for everything. Well, they say tell. that it takes someone to start something. Right. And uh, so these people who, what I've done is rounded up people who I know had a concern and interest in that project from the very beginning. And in fact, we used, uh, I con contacted an artist who was involved in it. Could you tell me some of the people that are involved in it now? Uh, I prefer to wait till later on that. Right. Okay. And uh, because this is just a very beginning brainstorming session. Okay. We don't even know if all these people are going to stay with the group or what, but eventually... Have you had a few meetings already? Yes. Uh, we're having a meeting day after tomorrow. And this... Well, it would be nice if you would keep uh, myself or the education department at the History Museum informed mm -hmm. and uh, as to your progress. Yes. I'm hoping that there will be a phase one and a phase two. I'm hoping that uh, the first phase would be a, the original wall in the place where it was originally, and that we would be able to buy the land and construct the wall there and have this, um, maybe almost the same artist come back and do it over again. The second phase would be a, um, a park that would have a museum, a theater, and, uh, and other walls. Uh, those are the kinds of dreams, you know, that we have at this particular Lovely time. Lovely dreams. Yeah, but the, uh, the group that we're now developing will have to make those kinds of decisions. And uh, they will discuss it back and forth. And just as we had compromises here in the, the faces that went on the wall, we're going to have compromises there also. Luther, is there anything, any issue, any part of this that I haven't touched on that you would like to uh, bring up? Uh, I sincerely feel that the purpose of all of this, the wall, and all of the activity that's being done in the city of St. Louis around the question of black history, black culture, and so forth and so on, especially into the black community, that while I realize that it is the role of, of each ethnic group to keep their own history, there's no question about that, uh, but that should, it should be shared with the total community so that uh, other people will see the uh, uh, contributions that all of the, all of the different groups have made. You know, not only do we need to know the contributions of the Irish, the Italians, the Jewish people, they all the uh, various different groups, but we need to know the contributions of black Americans also. And they have been making contributions in every way from the origin of the founding of this country. You know, from 1776 all the way through, and even before, um, blacks were involved in, uh, in the Revolutionary War. They were... Uh, uh, Phyllis Wheatley, who's on the wall, wrote a poem about 
George Washington and sent it to him, and he invited her to come there. To, uh, so blacks have been involved, you know, in every part of America. There's a, a, a book on blacks in America's wars, which shows how many blacks served in the Revolutionary Army in all of the wars all the way up until um, our, our latest one, Vietnam. But in every war, black soldiers have served and, uh, and had to fight and so on. Recently, of course, you know, this movie came out named Glory, Glory. Who, who, who for the first time in all of history, you know, indicates that there was a, uh, something about the black battalions of uh, the Civil War. But they could do something on blacks in the uh, Revolutionary War. You know, they can do something on blacks in every war that we've had because blacks have participated. And their reason for doing that, the argument that uh, blacks have given for doing that, is that they should hold up their end of the, uh, of the society. In other words, they should contribute as much to society as everyone else can do. And so, uh, and that's why uh, blacks have volunteered. The, uh, the, uh, in Glory, they talk about the Massachusetts unit who volunteered, you know, and, and didn't even have guns and so forth originally. Well, Luther, I hope your dream of this wall comes true just like the, the dream of the first wall, mm -hmm. because it did, and it had a lot of mileage. Right. The, one other thing that I want to mention is that people must realize that uh, when I look at American society today, and people talk about it falling apart, mm -hmm. having all kinds of problems and so forth and so on, I think that this kind of uh, educational tool is an important thing in terms of bringing together, binding, uh, uh, establishing certain kinds of ethics and morals and, uh, and uh, value systems. See, what you learn from looking at the wall is a value system. You learn of people who respect one another, who are trying to accomplish things to improve, lift up. That's why we use the term of your mighty race, because it's, we're interested here in uplifting. Now, if the kinds of people in our community who want to uplift, develop, help people to uh, become as good as they can be, are not influencing the community, then who's going to influence the community? In that vacuum will be drug pushes, will be all kinds of criminal activity and so forth and so on. So uh, in any community, uh, there must be a set of uh, values that can be passed on from one generation to the next. Uh, I'm, I'm writing an article um, I refer to as a baton, in which I refer to uh, life itself as being a passing on from one generation to the next. And, uh, and this is a part of that. Well, it is. It's, it's teaching in, in the, the eye, the ear, the heart. It's, the wall really encompasses uh, so very many things. And very interestingly, uh, 
you had the term the wall before this most famous wall in Washington. Honoring, oh, yes. Uh, the Vietnamese. Yes, yes, Vietnam. Wall of, wall of you, you already yeah. had a wall of respect. Yes, and yes. That is a wall of respect. Yes, yeah. and, and, th and that's what it's about. I, I think that also is true the uh, Wailing Wall in, uh, in Israel. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, see, I think that is a wall of respect, yeah. you know. And I think that, uh, that all ethnic groups, you know, should uh, be moving toward that. By the way, when I speak to older people... Reach for the best. That's right. And what, what was the best moment? What's been the best moment of your life? Or the best times? Whatever. Uh, well, I guess after I came out of uh, Army in World War II, and I went to school and took electronics, and uh, there was a period in the 50s it was during the period where, before and during the period of Martin Luther King, the, uh, you know, he was, uh, during that whole period of the 50s, I think, is the best period of my life. The hope. The whole, whole period, because people... The hope, though. Yes. People then began to move forward and uh, to challenge uh, the negative parts of the society and push them backwards. What do you foresee happening now? I think that um, in every historical period there will be people who will rise up and take charge at the time and carry on the banner of the struggle. I think that it is a constant, we, we have a theory that it's a constant struggle, that in every historical period, in every generation, uh, we must continue to try to improve human life on earth in every possible way. And uh, it will never be a time when we will not have to be vigilant and be uh, overtly operating to improve things. Well, I thank you, Liz. Okay. It's, it's been a, a, a privilege to talk to you and thank you for all that you've done. Okay. I'm sorry I hadn't... Go ahead. I didn't play single acts. Mm -hmm. In fact, the club got so popular, we got so popular back in the 50s with our dancing, people come from all over the South. I could name celebrity people that are mayors now. People that are the richest people in the world. Uh, I won't mention names, but one, the president of one of the biggest breweries in the world used to come here dancing. You didn't mention names. That's fine. <laughs> well, I'm, I was told this. See. George. Emmett Carter was one that told me. <laughs> How many people could you fit in the ballroom? Uh, we used to put four and five, six hundred in there when we danced in there. I'm going to take you up there now. Mm -hmm. Let's okay. walk around. Okay. You, I, I'm There's one goodie back. I'll just show you. I'm going to give you a goodie goodie on the next one. Chuck Story, Chuck Berry has never had me in any of his stories. 
but I'm the guy that helped him open up the first black club on Granham, Granham, uh, Washington. You know when he had it on the east, you don't miss it. He's from there. Well, I'm from there. He knows it. What was the name of that? Downstairs. I helped him. I was, I had connections and I was helping him. He was downstairs and he had, and I went with him and got him the permits and got him everything he needed and everything. What was the, could you tell? What His was daughter was saying with my son. Yeah. yeah I'm a, Second you, generation? You only, I, I, what, I, what was I, it like when, when they played here? When he played here? Well, Chuck Berry didn't play here as a band. He played here as... Huh? Did he... What no, he, he never did bring his band here. He just... He used to come in here. Now, he came oh, he in here, but he okay. came in. And that might... I told you, that was my son played with him. Uh-huh. And so he would come in here to get some... I, I would say... I, I don't want to be repeated, but to be around the white people more. Uh -huh. I was one guy that was nice to me. Mm -hmm. Fine. Come on in. But he wasn't, as far as I'm concerned, he was just... A, group, you know, but he was just starting to get his records going, and I, I, I would help him get clubs open up and open up. His I missed club. the question though. Did he play here no. with his band? Oh, he, oh, he came. Played. Oh, yeah, he would get up here and sing. He didn't come in with his band. No, he oh, wasn't. Come he wasn't an he'd act come here. And sing. He'd come but he would come and sing. Oh, yeah. But then, I've been. He's been to my house and everything. <laughs> oh yeah. Player. I got a question. What? What was the competition like between your club and the Casa Loma or the other clubs that you were telling us about in the I beginning? I didn't worry about it. I was that concentrated on this. But everybody was paying more attention to me. I said, everybody come and look. I, they said, oh, you ought to know. I said, I'm not worried. I'm only worried about this place. Well, I guess my question, what was going on in the other clubs? Were they doing some the similar kinds of well, entertainment? Well, people were watching me and following everything I do. Oh, well, that's, in, that's very interesting. They follow everything? Uh-huh. This is Frankie Ryan. I guess that might be Shirley Gunter. I've never heard of her. I'm not sure. Gunter? Yeah, have you heard that name, Shirley mm -mm. Gunter? No. I, and I assume that's Shirley and Lee. Put that together. <laughs> Another Shirley. <laughs> Maybe that's Shirley. Oh, I went to his wedding. Who? Who? Oh, Fred Shandy. I went to his wedding. Yogi Berra, Stan Musil, Joe Lewis, Lou Fez, Joe Gradiola, and this fellow is a boxing man. Hans Bernstein promoted uh, uh, some of the Charlie Riley and uh, the, he won the champion. Sonny Liston, uh, uh, he promoted, yeah, and he and I were partnered, did a lot of work together. Uh -huh. And these, Yogi Berra and Joe Graggio, who used to work for me, they used to be my gumballs and picked off the gumballs. Uh, weekends. That's right. So then you weren't responsible for it then on the weekends? I was responsible sure. for it, yeah. I, I owned it. Yeah. We're dancing. And this is the interior ballroom to the left. This used to be the radio room. It's now one of our banquet rooms. But this is where I played the acts uh -huh. in here. Mm -hmm. 
know, I used to have an act there. I played, oh, uh, what's the Italian fellow's name? Well, I used to play an act in here and have something going in that room. <laughs> and this is the ballroom. Oh, wow. And you had, did you have the, uh, where was the music? In the center or the end of it or what? Right up there on the bandstand. Right is it right there? Is right it still there? Right on the stage where some of the most famous acts in the country started. You know, mm -hmm. different acts. Well, today I go back there. You know, you're around. It's just everybody. I, I just I brought what what I liked, what the people liked, and that's why I brought Black Jackson. They wanted to dance. Fine, I'd go down the areas and pick them and bring them in. George, yeah. with with as much background and knowledge and that you had, could you could you tell who was gonna be hot and Conversation, word of mouth. But yeah. at, when you heard them, did you know? Hey, oh, I, there's really something here. I'm these not a if you, I'm not a musician to know good music. And you, you just dance. Oh, I dance. You yeah. dance. I used to be with Ray Quinn, and I promoted Ray Quinn and dance. It was Arthur Murray's and Fred Astaire. Uh -huh. was, well, that's my first. Uh, when I got, got out of school to get in the entertainment business that was some of the first things I did was dancing. Well then let me ask you if you could tell by the well, reaction. That's back when I tell you my, how I got out of in the entertainment business out of school. So you could tell by the reaction of the crowd and how they responded to whoever was here that maybe they had a chance for bigger time? Not necessarily. It's up to them. People come and tell me. Then they would come to me. I would advise them. I would, have, and and uh, I was straight with people. I wouldn't give them no runaround. I wasn't trying to make a big buck off them. That's why I'm still here. I guess. Yeah. What did they ask you? No, you're telling me to ask me a question. What they asked me? Well, I don't mean I'm not. Years ago, I. Well, I mean, did they say, in, in short, should I leave St. Louis and and go for the big time? Well, That's the kind. Of let's take I continue to turn. He played here so much, then we start using him at different places around town. Mm -hmm. And I, so we start placing him, and he, we start placing him in other days around town. Then he got so big, we had to move him out of town because people were getting used. He wasn't drawn as good because when he was drawn here, this is the only place they could see him here. And so the white people used to come from Ladu, and I'm going to name, I've had, again, I won't say any specific names, People that are now mayors, governors. I run into them now, and I'll say, "How are you, governor?" So, oh, George, I used to come dance in your place. <laughs> our mayor, mm -hmm. our some millionaire, and uh, then he and I'm talking, and I mean, I meet a a big black man now. He says, "Oh, I heard so much. I met with a head one of the head people from." Uh, NAACP, I was sitting in a restroom and I was w talking with a, 
a black girl and a, a, a white a politician, wasn't politician, we got to do something with the government. We were talking some kind of big business. And I was in this restaurant and she went over to talk and says, this guy wants a meeting. And he was one of the top lawyers with the NAACP. He says, see, he wants me. He says, I've heard so much that you've done for black people. He says, I just wanted to meet you. <laughs> and I hear this all the time. And I, I have had put a guard around you. He says, boy, aren't you going to move out of that neighborhood? You know, the neighborhood's changed. No, I don't have no problem. Now, some of the little kids deal with the problem, but people that know me, and I'm good. But I'm, I'm straight with I'm bringing white people back into the area now. And I'm going to be one of the guys that's going to make it forget there's any colors. It's going to be just like this, and that's what I hope to do one of these days. Be part of it, anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. And you are no different than me, her, or you. Understand? You're a girl, I'm a boy, and that's one thing I'll always stay. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. So you could fit two or three hundred people in this room? Oh, yeah. Now, i got to cut down. See, that's walls off. This is set up for Ron Elzer, the old Johnny Rabbit. He's, ah. he's having his family party here tomorrow. Awesome. And we're going to have a serving banquet for him. See, we got the nice round table. We're serving dinner. We're serving nice china with silver and all. And we got the piano ready to go. We got some people for coming down from the uh, Adams Mark Hotel. <coughs> some of the entertainment down there. <coughs> and some of the Black history is down at the Artist Mac Hotel, and he's the, you probably, the, uh, oh, the, uh, oh, the, 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 no one is the, uh, oh, I can't think, it's hard for me to think of names, but they're very, very, they were very popular in my day, and, but he's one of the better men down at the Adams Mark Hotel, and see, when I'm rattling off like this, I can't, I can't come to my mind, but they'll know me, I walk in places all Jordan Chairman, oh, I was good friend of his. I was good friend. I used to go in there. Take, take this down. What it's do you on. Okay. <laughs> what do you remember about Jordan Chambers? Jordan Chambers was a great guy. I, that's when uh, this is a little before Club Imperial, right. and when I was at Toontown Ballroom, that's the mother's entertainment spot. That's when we played all the big bands. Okay, now where was Toontown located? Toontown was located on Olive Street, just east of Grand Avenue. And it was the way they played all the big names. Big bands. The big bands. They played the Glenn Millers, the Dan Kentons, and and and, and G Jeter Pillars. Jeter Pillars Orchestra. Jeter Pillars Orchestra mm -hmm. played there. And uh, do you remember Eddie Randall? Or I remember Hudson? Eddie Randall. George Hudson's a good friend of mine. Jeter Pillars are both good friends. I, I'm a young man. I'm only 32. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 70. Oh, I'm 73 now. 72. I'm going to be 73. And uh, I know all these guys. So, um, when, what do you remember about the Riviera? Well, the Riviera, when we were at Toontown Ballroom, we used to go over there from the uh, early, uh, I guess it was in the 40s, I guess, in the early so it wasn't 40s. very far away. Early 40s. And when we get off of work, I'd go over there and went over there with Stan Kenton, musicians. I'd go over there. We'd all go over there afterwards. I went in there with many bands. And uh, this is one of my stories. 
we'd get over there and Jordan Chambers and oh, they'd let us in and they'd uh, uh, walk in and we, the band, and we were about one of the very few white to be the band and a few of our friends were with us and we had open house bars and, and uh, the bands would get in there and sit in and have jam sessions and uh, and I can't think of the bouncer's name of the big husky black guy and at that time it was a case these little black gals would want to come up and dance with us and he said don't do it please just stay your peace because I don't want one of these envious or jealous guys and they start, you know, make trouble. I said, fine, and just politely refuse them, you know. So we we stayed in our place, see. And uh, so uh, I said, well, don't bother me, you know, but, but we didn't mind being in there. We had fun. And they'd who, would, who would be in there playing? I mean, was it like an after hours? Well, play? it could have been, it could have been, uh, who's some of your... No, it's a big. It was. They was played a, the big names. Yeah. yeah they played big nightclub. Uh, uh, Jeter Pillars didn't play. He played the Plantation Mark. Right. Jeter Pillars played the Plantation, but uh, I think we George probably James. Louis Armstrong could have been there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've uh, been with all those guys. How many people could fit in there? It was a ballroom. Right. It was called the uh, a ballroom, just the same as yeah. Caslome or Toontown mm -hmm. Ballroom. Riviere. In fact, before it was a Riviere, it used to be the Showboat Ballroom, and we used to go down there when it was strictly a white place back in the mm -hmm. early 40s and late 30s. It used to be Showboat Ballroom, mm -hmm. and so it probably held as many as your ballroom here. Oh, big, bigger, it was bigger, my, bigger, bigger than this. Yeah, it was bigger. And they played. They always did play band, big bands, and ballroom dancing, mm -hmm. and when. Uh, Jordan Chambers took it over. He made a nightclub, and I, uh, I don't have necessarily. I can say this for print because he's long dead and gone. But he used to, have, he used to be the B politician, you know. Right. And for some reason, he was able to stay there late at night. No one ever bothered him. Understand? After hours. He, after hours. <laughs> you heard about that? Yes. Huh? You heard about yes. that? And we used to go in. And he, come on in. You know, we'd come in and the band would go in and I, and. And uh, we we enjoyed ourselves. Eh? We had fun and band to get in and jam session. It could have been any of the musicians just used to go over there after hours. And Jordan Chambers wouldn't stand for early fool. He run a tight ship, you know. But I never heard of any troubles like mm -hmm. they do today. We didn't have the problems they do today. And. Uh, it seems as if musicians have always managed, no matter what their color, to get along very well. I mean, yeah. after they left whatever segregated clubs they played at, they would go and to places like the Riviera and, and play and have jam sessions. And well, I go would on. say this, uh, what you're Ernestine. Ernestine, I would say this, and I'm a little older than you and most people, in my view, Pete, and uh, on things like that, in those days, uh, the entertainers and people didn't think nothing of, of that. It's the people, when publicity started coming out and the times come out, radio and television come in and it brought people closer together, understand? Mm -hmm. And then money got to be freer and everything. People got more money and uh, uh, it just, you, do you like me to push you like that? No. Well, I wouldn't like it if you did me. Nobody likes to be pushed. And if I invite you, come in and see me, understand? I invite you to my house, understand? 
I've had some of the finest black Lycan Tina Turner's been right in my house. I sat and I had their first press conference right in the basement of my house in Jennings. What was it like? Well, their first press conference. Uh, well, it wasn't. I, I said press conference. Their first. Uh, I formed their first uh, fan club. Oh. And there was a press conference there. We. Yeah. we released, well, what was that like? Well, I had all the kids that wanted to be his first fan. I got, I got all the literature. I got that for you. The, mm -hmm. uh, my son Greg, who played with Ike and Tina Turner, was th their first president of their fan club, <laughs> and it formed right in the basement. Right in my, the basement of was he pretty uh, congenial? Who? I hear Ike. Oh, he was at that time. Uh, very frankly, I'm going to say this about Ike Turner. Uh, when they told, I heard these stories. You want to sit down? Oh, all right. Aren't you thoughtful? I'm tired, too. Oh. <laughs> I'm not so thoughtful. <laughs> I'm tired. Okay. You sit no, yeah, you sit there. at the tape. Well, you, you sit, I'll sit I'm on the other yeah, side I'm, of the yeah. I'm a gentleman, still a gentleman. <laughs> I'm from the old school. See, I'm okay. putting this gal asleep. <laughs> no, no. You were talking about uh, Ike. You said to tell you the truth. Because I was said, was he congenial? Cause Very. I, now they I could never uh, that's what I could never understand these stories about him with Tina when he was here playing for me I can Tina Turner well as I said before I can Tina Turner it was Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythm mm -hmm. and my first knowing of him he brought this girl in here Beulah uh, Blue Lock Blue Lock Aileen Bullock Aileen, was yeah, her yeah. sister. It wasn't Tina, yeah. Right, yeah. it was her sister, Aileen. And uh, so uh, they brought her in. And, and Tina used to change, they used to change back in this back room over in here. But he brought the singers. And we were sitting right here where you're sitting now. I sat about where that table is there. And I remember I, we were in a chair like this and sitting on the table. And they were all rehearsing. He had these girls in there uh, to uh, break them in he had this new girl and uh, gonna sing and, and uh, he said uh, I think he'd already started uh, that then it was Ike Turner and Kings of Rhythm then when he was forming the group you know with the Ikeats and right. he says what are we gonna call those girls uh, I, I said what do you think we should I says I don't know Ike and about that time, I says, uh, why don't you call me Iquettes? And from then, there were Iquettes. And I don't, I'm not sure how T Tina Turner came in there, but I think he, they got so popular, and they, he saw, so uh, somewhere along the line, it was it went from Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythm, and the next thing I know, he was Ike and Tina Turner, reviewed with the girls back there but they used to rehearse here oh well they were here maybe for four or five years with me every Tuesday night or we'd book them out in different nights like that and uh, and they got so popular people would want and then we start playing them around the different parts of the town and in South St. Louis and this there and then they would go and then they start playing here on Thursdays and then we tried them on a Friday but I guess he was, it was getting too much there, and then it, the crowd started falling off and falling off. But 
he was in demand. He was getting in demand, and then he started playing the colleges around. I, and I've, I've got stories where I, letters where I used to book him in the colleges and stuff. Were you his agent? No, no, I was never his agent. No, I wasn't his agent. But I would book him. I says, here, they call me so I could go. <laughs> I could always book himself if he could. <laughs> and, with, and I didn't get no commissions. I wasn't one of these guys. Well, I want my commission. <laughs> Because the more popular you get, the more people he brought in there for me. So we start booking around. But I sort of worked with him, you know, as a as an advisor. And he listened to. He used to come to me for everything. And I used to go with him, and we'd leave here and we'd close up at night. And I'd go down over on Jefferson and uh, oh, there used to be the Crown. Uh, no, it wasn't Crown Restaurant. It was a little restaurant, Jefferson and Franklin. There, you know, it's a. Yeah, the Crown. Crown. It's still yeah. there. Yeah. What they call the Crown, Crown Cafe. Crown Cafe, yeah. It was a black restaurant. I used to go in there, and I'd be the only white guy in there, and that was the black area then. Mm -hmm. No, I'd take nothing of it. And you, when, you went in with him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. I, and then once in a while you get a drunk, come up and say something, I could get in your place. <laughs> and when I, and the same thing up at the Riviera. When, we didn't have the trouble with they're uh, drunk, and I don't care where you are today. It's the same thing. Did he talk about his dreams? What he wanted? Well, to uh, we was talking about Ike and his. He was a perfect gentleman when he was here. When uh, he came here, he wouldn't let any of his men go up in the bandstand without a suit and tie on. They couldn't take drinks. They weren't able to drink Coca-Cola only. Ike just drank Coca-Cola only. He stayed in his place. These white chicks had come up, play up to him, and he said, gee, what should I do, Joe? <laughs> I said, do what you want. I don't care what you do, but get 20 miles away from this place. I don't want any trouble around him. Yeah. That was one of my favorite expressions. You'll read that in that book, I think. I read it in that book. <laughs> and uh, I don't care what you do. But, uh, and he uh, was a perfect gentleman, and Tina, when she became Tina Turner, I can Tina Turner. She used to go. She was. She wouldn't get with the crowd too much. Oh, she'd come out. She'd stay back in the back. The band used to open up, and I don't know who was front in the band. They had a f different front. I can name them. They all know me, but they they come and see me. Yeah, I used to be with them. They start the night off. Say they'd play eight to twelve. I'd stop dancing at twelve o'clock too. I was trying to sell whiskey. I sold admissions on the door. They come in to see my entertainment and to dance, not to come in here to drink. I didn't sell booze. I had booze only for uh, necessity for if they wanted. Mm -hmm. I Did they drink soda? Oh, they drank soda. We used to have a fence right around the bar here. In fact, at one time when Chuck Berry and all of them used to come up here, we used to had the bar over there. They had to go over there because it was only dancing. And it was basically set with this big floor like this. And when, uh, back in 52, when I first took it over, it was, this whole thing was dance floor. There's little benches around here. Mm -hmm. Little benches, and it was all dance floors, the ballrooms. Yeah. But we wanted to give it a little more for dancing and club style, so the fellow that took, brought me in here to take it over, cut it down to this size dance floor and it's a wooden floor that I put this floor in since but cut it down and it was just tile just tile and had the tables around and some of the original there's one of the original tables right oh. that's yeah. one of the original tables 
and we had tables of fours and sixes all around. You saw yeah, the, you the saw the picture down there. The, that's the tables you yeah. saw in there, and we still got it, all of them here. And uh, so, so we put it up club style and let them dance, and we had dancing from eight to twelve. On those Tuesday nights, they were Two, in here. It was eight to twelve. Eight to twelve. Was it might have been eight to eleven. Now, huh? Was there a difference uh, in the crowds? when Tina joined the band? In other words, did, was that a bigger draw than when Ike was here with just the Kings? Oh, well, later on, yeah. But Ike grew from, from almost day one. Yeah. But how I got to know, I mentioned Teddy Cole. Mm -hmm. Well, I used to play the different bands, and and I, yeah, like you, I say, some of these guys, I didn't even know where they were. This is. Well, Jimmy Forrest was one of them. He used to be my, and uh, I, I knew him because he used to be played for me almost every Tuesday, you know. And uh, they used to tell me about these bands, and the kids seemed to like the ba black bands to uh, dance to then, and so because they had uh, the better beat that they wanted to dance to. So that's why I hired them. They played, for, I don't care if they're black, white, and blue, and pink. We found a few white groups. That, Joe Bowles, Bo, Joe Bosey was a white group of Tadfield. They seemed to like him, mm -hmm. but I used to use him on prom night on a Friday night when you know I had the college crowds here. Who else did you have? Um, what other black groups that maybe weren't weren't is, didn't become outstanding like uh, Ike and Tina Turner, but they still drew people here. Jimmy Forrest. Jimmy Forrest. Jimmy Forrest had his own group here. Then I had, uh, oh, I don't know, you're asking me something. It's hard, Every time it's I turn hard. Maybe around, when we go through those pictures, well, I, I, then you'll... Well, I, the pictures won't tell you everything. I didn't keep record of everything. Yeah. I'll tell you I what, I've you. got, I've got, uh, Foots Goodson was one of them. Foots Goodson. Foots Goodson was the name of it. And I'll tell you who was one of them is, uh, well, Jimmy Forrest, you know, ended yeah. up in, who were, oh, some guys that... He got to be pretty... Jimmy Forrest, you say, had his own group at the time. Oh, yeah, he played for me here, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jimmy Forrest and Little Milton was one of them, and uh, uh, Emmett Carter and oh, some other names. And, oh, like uh, uh, bands, they used, to, they used to play with bands, but they, I think uh, at that time, little not Little Milton, but... Uh, B.B. King or Albert King. Albert King. Albert King. Albert King and B.B. Uh, uh, King. Uh, 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 th this is people that tell me these things. Mm -hmm. And he used to play with so-and-so. And they, they, well, they used to come up here and be able to, be able to sing and work in the, in the places. You want to cut that? Yeah. Mm -hmm.